Hello and welcome to the Perfect Gentleman podcast. I am Zach Falkner-Barfield, 1PG, the founder of The Perfect Gentleman, and alongside me is the somewhat sniffly, but always charming, James Marwood. Hello, Zach. How are you, my friend? I'm very good, sir. How are you? I'm good. I'm getting over this cold. I'm forcing it out with a combination of spicy food and exercise. We're getting there, but I might have a little bit of cough and sniff during the podcast, but I'll try and minimise. Everyone gets a cold. Yes. We soldier on. We do, indeed. I shall not let this defeat me. It's one of the perils of consulting. You, you go and work in new offices, and almost every time there's a new variation on some disease, and you end up getting it. It's that, that time of year when I get my flu jab because of my asthma. For some reason, it always takes me a couple of days to get over it. Anyway. So what do we have on today? After last week's lovely special podcast, which we did with all the whole group, which was a fantastic thing and lots of fun, back to normal this week. Today is a little bit of gentleman news. So what's caught our eye in the world for The Perfect Gentleman over the last few weeks and talk a little bit about our fallen colleague, Mr. Nick Wing. Indeed. We have a new guest podcast piece from the indomitable Brian Sheridan, who was on the podcast last week. And he is going to talk about stylish villains because it's Halloween it's our Halloween special this October, so we're all talking a little spooky stuff. Excellent. So, James, what has caught your eye? Do you recall a little while ago we talked about efforts in Canada on the Go Transport Network to improve manners and etiquette? I do. I remember it very well. We were joyous about it. Yes. Well, apparently, it looks like it's bearing fruit. This is an article from the Toronto Metro, and it's six months. Apparently, they've been running this campaign. They're reporting success. So they started using posters and things like that and talking about people shouting on phones and putting their feet up on the seats and all that sort of stuff that happens anywhere you've got public transport and people. But they're saying it's working. What's interesting about the Toronto thing is they have the option to fine people for this if they have safety officers and they can give a $75 fine, which is a fair amount. But instead, they've been promoting it and using posters and word of mouth and publicity. And they're saying that other passengers are being more polite and people feel more empowered to challenge people when they're not being right. Well done to them and well done, Toronto. As you said, it was other people holding other people to account, which is fantastic. Absolutely. There's been a 40% improvement on etiquette and manners overall. Something like that, yeah. Which I thought that was great. Well done, Canada. Yes, excellent. In Fuse, what have you been looking at? A few things. Talking on the manners and politeness thing, I was an article in the Business Mirror from Philippines talking about a public relations lady who was talking about good manners make for good PR. PR people are generally quite, <clears throat> can be quite uh, cutthroat and... and uh, um, Forceful, perhaps? Forceful is probably a good word. Yes, forceful. This lady was saying, her name is Joy Buensalido. She was saying that as a PR agent, you should have manners. Don't be rude and unkind to everyone. Treat everyone with respect. Dress decently. Don't be late. Get everyone's names right. Turn off the gadgets. All the stuff that we talk about. But she's talking about it in a very specific business context. Especially in PR, where it is quite difficult and cutthroat and people are trying to protect everyone. And one of the things that she said, which I thought was quite interesting, was being about the learn to forgive. If someone makes a mistake why not forgive them for their actions? Negative emotions are not particularly good and they don't encourage great working relationships. So she's saying learn to forgive. So I thought that was quite interesting for a, a PR person to promote this within the PR industry. I thought that was quite good. That's great. And what else has been catching your eye, James? Yet another Men's Style Rules article, this time from Business Insider UK. Last month it was published by Dennis Green. They're talking about some style rules you have to follow and... 
some that you don't. So they've got nine rules. If we run through them, and we'll see what they think. So match your shoes and belt when dressing formally. All the leather should match. Yes, brown goes with brown, black with black, and tan with tan. Especially if you're wearing you're wearing a suit. If you're dressing for a formal occasion, it's got to. If you're wearing black tie, you'll be wearing black anyway. Though there is a reason for that. But what happens is if you mismatch too drastically, you break the clean line that you're trying to get. Absolutely. If you've got a black pair of shoes and a brown belt, they really jar the eye, mm-hmm. and the eye is then drawn to the mismatch. Yes. Rather than having a nice, stylish silhouette, your eye kind of keeps going back to the mismatch. Absolutely. The next one, then, is don't mix patterns. Ooh, I'm, I'm not quite sure on this, because I think what's good is to understand how patterns work together. That's really important. And not going overboard with it. There's no reason you can't have a striped shirt and a check suit so long as they work together or a patterned tie with a slightly patterned shirt that can work so long as you understand the reasons why so don't mix patterns unnecessarily or don't mix patterns badly i think it's probably more fair yes i think that's quite fair i have a striped white and pink shirt and a pink and white polka dot tie and you would think that it wasn't go well but when i've worn it it does tend to blend just because the colours go right. Absolutely. One of the best guides to this is in Dressing the Man by Alan Flusser, which, which I've talked about in the past. Generally speaking, you know, your patterns go by size, shape and direction. And then you've got colour. So colour, first of all, that has to go. And then so long as you're matching one or two of the colour, shape and size, it'll generally work together. And, and you can read Flusser for a bit more. We've written a bit more about it. But generally, playing with patterns is fine, just... Just do it well and don't overdo it. Yeah, I agree with that. Dressing to the specification required. I think there's, that's full stop. <laughs> full stop, move on. If it's black tie, wear black tie. There's nothing else to say on that one. Indeed. Now, I must admit, I quite like shorts and linen jackets. So a nice pair of well-tailored shorts with a jacket for a summer barbecue or something like that, I really like. I know most people don't. and I know probably some of the listeners are going to be cringing and shaking their fist at their generic fruit-based device. But done well, in a casual setting, it works well. Not in a casual setting, wear long trousers. I think the assumption is on the shorts is people will put them into sort of cargo shorts or casual shorts. But I think if you're, as you say, you're wearing a nice, classic, tailored pair of shorts or a good pair of shorts that is fitted for you, that's not too bad. You've got to get it right. You can't just put on a pair of cargo shorts and a blue blazer and think, well, hey... It's got to work well. Has to be considered. Most of the rest of the rules are really simple. You're matching your colours to the season. Don't button the last button on a jacket or a sweater or a waistcoat. Don't wear suspenders, braces and a belt at the same time. And never wear sneakers with suits. Trainers for the UK. I think we can all agree with those. Yep, wholeheartedly. The last one is a little bit interesting. It says don't wear a vest, a waistcoat on its own. And the argument that they put across is that it makes you look like a like a waiter or that your jacket is missing something. The picture they accompany it with is a guy wearing a suit waistcoat with quite textured jeans and that doesn't look right. But it's not because it's a waistcoat, it's because it's a shiny worsted suit with a silk backed waistcoat with jeans. The texture's wrong, the context is wrong, you just look like you've spilt coffee on your trousers and you've had to put your jeans on. However, Something like a tweed waistcoat or a flannel waistcoat, something in a textured cloth with a bit of interest to it that matches the jeans or if you're wearing chinos or khakis, that can look really, really good. 
what you want to avoid is the impression that your top half is wearing a suit and your bottom half is wearing jeans, you know, like the dressing equivalent of a mullet. That's not a great look. Again, if you understand the reasons why, you can wear a waistcoat on its own. If you don't, and all the only waistcoats you have are ones you're borrowing from your three-piece suit, better leave them for the suit. And there are some very lovely waistcoats, especially in the fall and autumn months. A lovely tweed waistcoat with a pair of cords or a nice pair of trousers, heavy wool trouser and a nice tweed waistcoat. I've seen the look work incredibly well. It lends a slight casuality to your outfit. You're dressed up, but you're not overdressed. I saw a chap dressed just like that last night when I was out in Newcastle. It looked like he was on a date and he had a nice, well-tailored tweed waistcoat and a pair of grey flannels and he looked fantastic. Now, James, there was something else that you wanted to talk about as well, I, I remember. Yes, I had a really fun weekend a couple of weekends ago. It was the UK Scientific Wrestling Camp. So this is the traditional English catch wrestling art which largely died out in the UK. It held on in Lancashire and Wigan primarily and a few other places, but it doesn't have the popularity it once had. But it was also quite popular in the US. Every year, the scientific wrestling group hold a camp in the UK where prospective trainers and experienced trainers get together. I've, I've visited one camp last year to train, which was some of the hardest training I've ever done. Those guys are incredible. But I couldn't get to this one other than just for a few hours. But what I did get to see was Josh Barnett who is a previous heavyweight champion in the UFC and an absolute hero of mine, teaching, which was fantastic. But also, what I wasn't really aware of was how much of a gentleman he is. I'm not going to too much about that, but what was really interesting to me was watching him teach and watching him interact with guys who were a mixture of extremely capable wrestlers who really know their things well, guys like Martin Oswick and the, the Hazelmere Catch Wrestling Group or Chris Crossan from Nottingham who are guys who teach and, and in Chris's case compete. And then also guys like me who are complete newbies to this and younger guys, older guys. For, for someone who's a, a champion like that and such a famous guy and very much in demand, was very generous with his time, talked to people and really made everybody feel welcome and open which i thought was was fantastic there is an article which is worth searching out which is from fightland which is vice magazine's ufc and martial arts section which i really enjoy this is from 2013 it's an interview with him reading it and his love of good suits of good grooming of speaking correctly of enjoying good alcohol but not taking it too far reading all those sorts of things Josh Barnett sounds like our sort of guy. It's worth looking out for that. And if you get the chance to, to see Josh fight, go do it. He is using this traditional catch style in a way that nobody else at the high level is. Oh, fantastic. That sounds very interesting. And we always like the gentle man, men who are masculine, male, and do interesting things, but also have that gentlemanly aspect to them. That's gentlemanly news over with. That's what's caught our eye for the week. It is. We're going over to Brian Sheridan who is our lovely correspondent in America, and he's going to give us a little bit about stylish villains. It's really good to see you. I don't know what happened to the driver and my luggage, and, well, and with all this, I, I thought I was in the wrong place. I bid you welcome. That's Count Dracula welcoming an unsuspecting guest to his castle in the 1931 horror film classic Dracula. Bella Lugosi, playing the title character, is formally dressed in a black tuxedo with white tie, flowing cape, and an ornamental medal that Hollywood legend says Lugosi provided. 
Being gracious, Dracula even offers his guest a glass of old vine. The fact he turns into a vampire and kills for his bloodlust probably ruins the whole stylish host vibe he obviously has worked hard to perfect for his Transylvanian B&B. Lugosi has set the standard for all of the Draculas to come, from Christopher Lee's portrayal in nine films from 1958 to 1976, to Frank Langella's 1976 appearance on both film and stage. George Hamilton, one of the most stylish men himself, also walks around modern New York City in a full penguin suit for his comedic turn as Dracula in Love at First Bite, also 1979. Movie audiences have become used to watching stylish villains attempt to kill the hero and wreak havoc on the world. Many of the comic book baddies have recently cut a dashing figure on the big screen, be it Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight or Tom Hiddleston as Loki in The Avengers. It's not easy to look sophisticated and evil in spandex. However, one would draw stares and possibly cries of fright if you tried to emulate the sartorial style of those cartoon evildoers like the rough-hewn look of Bane, Batman's nemesis in The Dark Knight Rises. As a gentleman, it is not about calling attention to what you are wearing, which would probably happen if you were seen with a leather and rubber mask any place outside of the San Diego Comic-Con. If you're interested in moving smoothly from your evil lair to a night out on the town, look no further than the James Bond movie series. Though Dr. No's Nehru jacket didn't stand the test of time, it looked dapper in 1962 when the movie hit theaters. It also looked pretty good on Dr. Evil in the Austin Powers franchise. Bond baddies have always provided a well-dressed counterpart to the Savile Row-tailored secret agent. In Goldfinger, Auric Goldfinger, played by Gert Frobe, cuts a dashing figure in his gold and brown silk dinner jacket as he attempts to slice Bond in half on a laser table. Besides fighting 007, Kamal Khan, played by Louis Jordan, battles the heat of India in style in Octopussy. And Javier Bardem as Silva in Skyfall is probably one of Bond's best-tailored villains. While the style of the James Bond villains demonstrates parody between them and 007, the movie Die Hard offered the bespoke-suited, sophisticated Hans Gruber, played to perfection by Alan Rickman, as a counterpoint to the t-shirt-clad, all-American tough-guy hero John McClane, played by Bruce Willis. Gruber is arguably one of the greatest bad guys in movie history. If it weren't for his brutality and complete disregard for human life, he's the guy we'd all like to be, well-groomed, educated, and charming. The 1988 film came out as American movie heroes ditched traditional styles of dress and erudition for muscles and firepower, as demonstrated in popular movies starring Willis, Sylvester Stallone, and Arnold Schwarzenegger. The attitude in Hollywood films during this period of casual Fridays is that only a villain would be concerned with dress and deportment. Luckily, we can borrow from the fine style examples these baddies have set for us without having to take a Los Angeles skyscraper hostage on New Year's Eve or suck the blood of unsuspecting villagers. Our wonderful partners, the English Cream Tea Company, deliver a fresh take on tradition. The English Cream Tea Company offers quintessentially British gifts. Choose from the freshly prepared afternoon tea hampers to be hand-delivered right to your door throughout mainland UK, 
or select from a range of gift vouchers. There are also postable gifts of award-winning chocolate brownies, tea, delicious shortbread, and even cheese please tuck tins with delicious cheese scones and chutney. After all, the perfect gentleman needs to be able to send the perfect gift, whether it's to say thank you, congratulations, or season's greetings. And the English Cream Tea Company supplies that, complete with your own personalised gift message. Who do you know who would not love the gift of afternoon tea? So go to theenglishcreamtea.com for a charming touch of British indulgence. Thank you, Brian. That was really interesting and always interesting to talk about stylish villains. I think uh, there's quite a few of those there. I like his choices of Auric Goldfinger and Alan Rickman's Hans Gruber as well. I always thought Hans Gruber was very stylish in Die Hard. Alan Rickman did some of the best villains. And I remember actually seeing him in Liaison Dangereuse on the stage when he was fantastic. Not so much a villain, but as certainly as a libertine. But there we go. So unfortunately, the last part of this podcast is a little sad, I'm afraid. We sadly lost Nick Wing a week or so ago to cancer. Uh, Nick was one of the founding partners of The Perfect Gentleman. He was the co-author of the book, Becoming the Perfect Gentleman. And he was a friend to certainly us here, The Perfect Gentleman, and across the whole gentleman and cigar community. After he left us, he went off and pursued his true love of cigars and founded the UK Cigar Scene magazine, where he managed, as the gentleman he was, to keep everyone happy in the cigar world. No mean feat. No mean feat in any world, in any business where there's rivalry mm. and competition. You know, he kept everyone happy, and, and he was a the epitome of a gentleman. Um, there's so many lovely things have been said. I mean, personally, I think he is certainly in the fabric of the DNA of the perfect gentleman his contribution was outstanding mm. i shall miss wholeheartedly his conversations his love of cheese and my love of cheese his education of tea which he was very good at great cigar times and his wit and his humor it should be a huge huge loss to the world yes and anyone who knew nick loved him knew how, how what a great guy he was how fun and and how vivacious what's been really interesting to me is seeing on on social media and talking to people, the massive breadth of people who were affected by Nick and whose lives were better for knowing him. And it is desperately sad that we've lost him and that his, his family have. I mean, his, his wife and children. There's not much more we can really say about Nick, but he was a thorough gentleman and sorely missed. And our thoughts are with his, his three lovely kids and, and his, his lovely wife and his uh, memorial is tomorrow and uh, we, should, we should be trottling along there and, and paying our respects and I pretty much guarantee that uh, there'll be a large turnout. I mean, yes. I think a lot of people are certainly touched by him, touched by his generosity, touched by his kindness um, and he will never be forgotten, certainly in the Perfect Gentleman annals and uh, certainly um, in our hearts. Indeed. So long, Nick. So long, Nick. Smoke wherever you are, sir, and, and uh, enjoy. Yes. So I'm, I'm sorry about the, the sad ending to the Perfect Gentleman podcast, but there we go. Life is like that sometimes. Yes, it is. We shall um, soldier on and do the perf rest of the Perfect Gentleman of this month in his memory. Yes, we shall. We're back next week. We're back next week uh, with some joyful things about more mm. Halloween-y stuff, which will be fun. Excellent. I do enjoy Halloween. All right, sir. Take care. Have a lovely week. And you, my friend, and you, I'm going to go and uh, smoke a cigar now and just have a little reminisce. I shall do the same and, and get some cheese and a, and a large pot of tea on the go. Enjoy it, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by The Perfect Gentleman Group Limited and was edited by Andy Nichol at the Pistachio Palace.